It's episode 213, and I am about to make a pretty bold statement. Are you ready? The book my guests and I read for this episode is probably my favorite I've read for the podcast so far, in 213 episodes. Take that in. Interestingly, the book is one that I didn't read when I was a young reader myself. In fact, I didn't even know about it when I was a young reader myself. It skews more contemporary relative to many of the throwback books we chat about on the show, too. Today, we are focusing on E. Lockhart's The Disreputable History of Frankie Landau Banks, which was published in 2008. It was a finalist for the National Book Award in 2008 and a Prince Honor winner in 2009. It's set at a boarding school and explores matters of toppling the patriarchy and questioning the status quo. So it's kind of my dream read. I know that this book is not as well known as many that we have discussed on SSR in the past, but if you haven't read it, fear not. My guests and I break down the plot so you have all the necessary context, but we don't give too much away, so you can still go ahead and give it a read when you're finished listening. We talk about why the disreputable history of Frankie Landau Banks has the makings of a future classic, why it's so meaningful to my guest, and how it relates to The Summer I Turned Pretty and other new YA titles. We also dig deep into the way that E. Lockhart unpacks subjects like old boys clubs, not like other girls conditioning, feminism, proximity to power, and power imbalances. It's a really juicy one. Today, we welcome an old friend back to the podcast. S.K. Ali is the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of several books, including Saints and Misfits, a finalist for the William C. Morris Award, winner of the APALA Award and Middle East Book Award, and Love from A to Z, a Today Show's Read with Jenna book club selection. Both novels were critically acclaimed and named Best YA Books of the Year by various media, including Entertainment Weekly and Kirkus Reviews. Her novel Misfit in Love was a People Magazine Best Book of Summer 2021. Her books for younger readers include the widely acclaimed middle grade anthology, Once Upon an Eid, and the New York Times bestselling picture book, The Proudest Blue. She has a degree in creative writing and lives in Toronto with her family, a very vocal cat named Yeti, and a very quiet cat named Mochi. Her new novel, Love from Mecca to Medina, is on sale on October 18th, 2022. You can follow Sajida on Instagram at Books and on Twitter at SajidaWrites. As I make abundantly clear in this conversation, I am so grateful that Sajida made a return trip to SSR and that she encouraged me to pick up the disreputable history of Frankie Landau Banks, even if it wasn't on my radar or wish list initially. You can put the great books you're reading on my radar by connecting with me on social media. SSR is at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find the show on Facebook when you search the SSR Podcast or the SSR Book Club. You can have even more fun with the SSR community as a member of our Patreon family. For as little as a dollar per month, that's literally 25 cents per episode, you can support the podcast and gain access to lots of cool goodies, including an invitation to our chatty Discord channel, membership in the SWR Book Club, and bonus episodes. As an independent creator, I really do rely on contributions from our incredible Patreon community to keep this show going strong. If you love the show, please consider getting involved. You can learn more at www.patreon.com slash SSRpodcast or by going to www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. 
Thank you so much to all of the patrons listening now. Do you enjoy cozying up with an audiobook? As I record this, it's officially fall. So why don't you grab yourself a fuzzy blanket, a cup of hot chocolate or cider, and listen to one of the books on your TBR. Libro FM is a great place to buy audiobooks because it supports indie booksellers instead of giant corporations. The audiobooks you buy there will sound and cost the same as the ones you buy from the big guys. We all rely on Amazon for plenty of things, but since audiobooks are sent directly to your phone no matter where you buy them, audiobooks are a solid place to make the switch. Plus, you can use code SSRPODCAST when prompted on the site, that's libro.fm, to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Sasha. Welcome back to SSR. So nice to be here with you, Allie. Thank you for inviting me. I'm thrilled to have you. And we are doing something a little bit different this time around. Last time you were on the show, we talked about a real Judy Bloom classic, otherwise known as Sheila the Great. And this time we were talking about a much more contemporary novel, which you actually put on my radar, although I knew about the author. Today we are talking about The Disreputable History of Frankie Landau Banks by E. Lockhart. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about what this book means to you and why you wanted to bring it on for today's episode. Yeah, so this book means a lot to me because I've always been interested in empowerment stories. And I think this one is so well done in terms of like the whole, how do you kind of face a system that seems unchangeable Mm. and then, you know, kind of get people to think about it. So it's not like Frankie, the main character, she gets exactly it exactly right or gets done what she wants to do which is take apart and I guess I should tell your listeners a little bit about the story which is that Frankie is a student at a boarding school in a very moneyed kind of institution and it has an old boys club a literal literal old boys club (laughs) yes so it's like a secret society that's in the running for a very long time and her father was part of this secret society as well and um so frankie does not like that status quo and so she very cleverly kind of starts to dismantle it from the inside because she is she's the girlfriend of one of the the main organizers or main like uh, i guess the head of the secret society for this the year that she's a, a sophomore and uh yeah so i love it because it just details like the whole takedown and it doesn't result in the takedown however it gets people thinking and i and i love that i love stories that kind of show you know what happens when you shake things up and the resulting you know 
there's there's a reflection and processing that happens and uh, i just love it for that i also like we can talk on about this but i also love the way that emily lockhart e lockhart kind of like bends rules in storytelling and maybe we'll come back to that a bit more after but yeah i just i love that she she kind of like takes stories and has like this artistic kind of freedom with them and the writer i love that Yeah, I would love to get back into that. You've given us such good stuff to work with to get started. And I'm glad you offered that intro for our listeners because it seems like this is a new book for a lot of people. And I'm excited about that because I am so happy that you put it on my radar. I absolutely loved it. I might even go so far as to say that it is my favorite book that I've read for the podcast in over four years. Wow. I know. I know. So thank you for telling me about it. And I will, I'll give you a little bit of behind the scenes and the listeners a little bit of behind the scenes as well, because when you suggested it to me, I honestly was like, oh, I don't know. Like I do tend to gravitate toward, even if it's a book that I'm not familiar with personally or a book that I didn't read myself when I was a kid, like I gravitate toward books that maybe have been requested by listeners or books that I'm at least aware of because there may be more like out there in the cultural zeitgeist. Mm. And I do tend to go for books that are a little bit older. Like this book was published in 2008 and I'm sort of trying to find the line. Like I've gotten a lot of requests for John Green and books that were published in this general Mm. time period. So I'm inching closer to that. But for a lot of reasons, I was like, I don't, I don't know, but you gave such a convincing pitch and you had such specific reasons for wanting to read it that I was like, I don't know. I feel like Saja, who I already love from our previous episode that we did together. I'll link that in the, in the show notes listeners. If you haven't listened to it yet, I was like, I think I'm sold. I think we have to give it a try. So I really appreciate that you clued me into why this book is so meaningful. Oh, thank you. I'm I'm so I'm like sitting here glowing because I'm like, oh, it's your favorite book in the last few years. And it's an amazing book to have as a favorite book. It's just yeah, it's just and I and you know, when you spoke about the, you know, the whole, the classics, and like, I feel like the, the books discussed on your show are like sort of classics for us who grew up reading kind of like the first ways of YA, like Judy Bloom and, and so on. But I feel like some books are like you can tell that they're going to be classics. And yes. This the distributable history of Frankie Lano Banks is like you you get that feeling right when you read it. Did you feel that? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It, the language. I mean, E. Lockhart is such an incredible writer, and my sort of touchstone E. Lockhart novel, which I think a lot of others might be familiar with as well, is We Were Liars. Mm-hmm. which came out when I was working in publishing and I worked for the house that published it and it was like the hottest thing. Like we were all so excited about it. It was so buzzy. Yeah, we just could not get enough of E. Lockhart at that time. And I think I read maybe one of her others, but We Were Liars is definitely like my primary reference point for her. And she is an incredible author. She like charmed our entire sales department back when We Were Liars came out. And it was funny because I posted a photo of the disrespect of di- why is this so hard to say? <laughs> I posted a photo of the disreputable history of Frankie Landau Banks and some of the people that I used to work with who were like in very senior positions because this was published by a different publishing house. They were like, oh, I didn't know about this one. And I told them they had to read it because it actually, in addition to being beautifully written and something that I enjoyed, 
it was a national book award finalist Mm -hmm. it won the prince honor like i don't know why more people aren't talking about this book and i wonder if it's because it came out right around the time of like the fault in our stars like there was a lot of ya Mm -hmm. happening at this time right yeah and i think i'm trying to remember how it got on my radar as well like i'd read a elok heart earlier and i think it was just i maybe it was the prince it was that buzz around the prince and i'd been kind of reading award-winning and um like books of that merit and then uh and then when i read this one i was like oh that's it yeah it's just i just thought i love the way that the storytelling is not necessarily linear and i mean lockhart does that a lot as well like when she with genuine fraud, which the storytelling was all backwards. And so like, I just like those as, as a writer myself, I like to see how someone tackles those kind of ambitious things in a book. And she does it so well. And I, and, and it's just, it sucks you in. There's a plot, there's the storytelling, but then there's also the rejigging of how the story's traditionally told. Absolutely. Well, you gave us a great intro to the plot, but let's really get into the details because there are people who are completely new to this character, maybe even completely new to this author. Mm -hmm. And there's so much happening in this story. So as you mentioned, Frankie Landau-Banks is, of course, our main character, as she's also the title character. And when we meet her, she is preparing to enter her sophomore year at Alabaster Prep. And I think we just have to start by saying... Alabaster prep. (laughs) I mean, the author is being really cute and also not that sly with what she's implying by naming the prep school, the boarding school where this book is set, the whitest thing imaginable. Yeah, there's a lot of like play like that, which I I just, it's just, yeah, it's just like, it's tongue in cheek, but it's also asking you to, to think about things like really carefully. And I love that. And she's, yeah, she's starting school, but we get a little glimpse of her before school. And actually, uh, when I teach, I, I teach YA writing online sometimes for workshops and for different places. And I, I use this for the beginning of the disreputable history of Frankie Lana Banks to show like the whole, like how you get a glimpse and a snapshot of the character before the story and how in this case that little scene do you remember that ali where she's like at the beach and yes yes and everyone calls is like she's the bunny rabbit right in family which i think is so relatable and i also think that something that felt so timely to me because we're recording this in september of 2022 um and we are just passing the summer where the summer i turned pretty on amazon prime has been all the rage and the summer I turned pretty series those books are back on the bestseller list like even just that like phrase the summer I turned pretty is very much out there in the discussion right now and in that scene that you're talking about like it is very much a summer I turned pretty vibe I pulled out a few lines where we're just kind of hearing about how quite frankly like hot Frankie got like she left school as a freshman who was maybe a little bit awkward and in a single summer she went through puberty and we're led to believe by the author that she comes back looking completely different and that's sort of the state in which we find her at the beach when she has an encounter with this handsome boy on the boardwalk she really wanted to spend some time alone she wanted to go for a walk by herself and to your point Sajda like everybody's like oh no you're the little bunny rabbit like we can't trust you to go on a walk alone and true to form with you know a teenage attitude she's like no I'm going Mm -hmm. and she goes and she gets herself 
a custard and that's where she meets this boy who ends up being quite key later on but at the time it just feels like this moment where she is getting acquainted with like the power that her looks have over people because it's very obvious to her that this isn't maybe somebody who would have spoken to her before this whole samurai turned pretty thing happened yes and i and i i think now this is where i'm going to bring a little bit of my background in please do yes as as a muslim woman you know who covers I wear a hijab and when, you know, the reasons we do are, you know, intrinsic to our faith, but one of them is like asking people to not consider our appearance in judging or valuing us. And I love that part where like Frankie is this like smart, brilliant, witty person and her character is this, you know, this, that's who she is. And she realizes that that's, you know, she, the year before sophomore year, like she was still that person. And then she enters sophomore year with a different look. And then suddenly people notice her, boys especially, and they don't remember that she was the same person like that she, yeah. like before. And they're like, yeah. there's repeatedly, and not a spoiler, but repeatedly Frankie runs into people, guys, who don't remember that she had spoken to them the year before yeah. and that she'd interact with them and like, it's 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 pretty much emphasized in the book how like yeah her her value shot up because of how she looks now and i love that's one of the inter- interrogations that i love i love in this novel yes and how that shifts throughout the novel because yeah. to your point like yes she becomes so much more interesting to people back on campus because she has gone through this physical transformation but that might shift at the end and mm. it's it's kind of all about the way that i read it it was sort of about frankie figuring out like which levers mm. she has to pull with her power and there are moments where she's pulling levers of her sexuality and of her body and Mm -hmm. feeling empowered by that which I actually think is is a message that maybe we don't hear enough I think Mm -hmm. so often we are afraid in pop culture to like talk to teens about that Mm -hmm. because we're worried that it it gives like the quote wrong message but I actually really like the way that Frankie learns how to navigate through the world and her body because she's also learning about these other levers. She's learning how to mm-hmm. think critically. She's learning how to try to stay a step ahead of people. So she's learning how to manage all of these different tools that she has at her disposal to sort of find her place in a very complicated political environment, which is boarding school. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning, she really is new to this because she's only ever had like this one identity. Yeah. And she's realizing that if she puts herself out there with some different kinds of things, like maybe other opportunities will come her way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I love that she takes the reins yeah. of everything. It takes her a while to notice, but she, she starts noticing right away, but it takes her a while to like process like how then she can get the power back and that is like just so visceral like frankie deciding that she does want power and i love that i love that like that's not shied away from like this girl wanting power in her school and like it's like and i love when when emily lockhart kind of just shows us like these different ways of that girls deal with with the patriarchy you know in, in her school like like how there was like her good friend trish she who's her roommate and how she kind of like decides early on that like she's gonna like the things that she likes and you know she's gonna deal with the way things are 
in uh, quote unquote feminine, uh, what's traditionally seen as feminine. She's going to bake and she's going to, you know, and that's fine. And, uh, and then other people who, you know, there's the star who's, who's the girlfriend of uh, one of the boys who help run the school. And she, she takes on her role of being like, just like the kind of like, I guess, I don't know, like, just like supporting your man kind of thing and not really saying what she really feels and stuff. And so you see these little like archetypes of like how women deal with the patriarchy and Frankie cataloging that and then realizing uh, she didn't want to deal with it in any of those ways. Yeah, I, I just love that. Yeah, well, her sister is kind of an interesting yeah. case too because her sister Zada, yeah. she's her older sister. And the other significant thing that's happened to Frankie at the beginning of the book, in addition to becoming pretty and sort of changing physically, is that Zada has gone off to college yes. at Berkeley. And so I think, you know, that's probably part of what's happening in her family. She's always been the bunny rabbit, but now that her older sister is gone, she's really the bunny rabbit. And it feels like everybody's coddling her that much more. But early on, Frankie is very clear with us as the reader that, like, she's not quite sure how she feels about Zada's like explicit outspoken feminism like it's almost a bit of an eye roll like oh there goes Zada again with her feminism yeah and the journey that Frankie takes with her feminism or her take on what it means to find her place in the patriarchy like it shifts and I actually sort of think she ends up landing much closer to Zada than she maybe would have expected at the beginning Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah I like that that there was that mentor figure that you know Frankie wasn't afraid to like challenge or or be distinct from in the way she understood things. And I and I also love the vulnerabilities that Frankie shares where when Zada is trying to like analyze her relationship with Frankie's relationship with Matthew, her boyfriend. And she's like, Oh, it's because of this, it's because of that and Frankie's like, Can I just enjoy like the moments of being this power girlfriend, you know? So like I, I like that. I like the way that whole how do you arrive at the type of feminism because that's something that is discussed a lot right like there's there's different forms of there's different ways of being feminist and I like that Frankie wants to be a little bit distinct but then yes you're right she kind of she 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 understands what Zada was trying to tell her about before. I want to linger for a second on Trish and Trish's approach to all of this because you brought it up and I, I had a big star next to it in my notes because I just think this conversation that Frankie has with Trish at the beginning of the book, they're at this party on the golf course mm-hmm. and they're having a conversation about summer and how Trish was kind of avoiding spending time with, I think it was her brother and her brother's friends and they were doing what she perceived to be like boy things outside. Mm-hmm. And she didn't want to do those things. And Frankie was like, well, why didn't you like, go hang out with them if you were so bored. And Trish decided that she was just going to stay inside making a crumb cake or crumbles or like cobbler or something because she didn't want to engage with the boys. And I pulled out this one quote that I just thought really like illuminated so much for me about these ongoing conversations that we have about feminism. Mm -hmm. It says, Frankie found her friend's attitude infuriating by opting out of what the boys were doing in favor of a typically feminine pursuit. Trish had closed a door the door between herself and that boys club her brothers had on the beach. Sure, she was still invited. She could open the door again, but another summer spent making crumbles in the kitchen and the boys would stop asking her to come out. Instead, they would expect warm dessert to be waiting for them on their return. Mm. I have so many thoughts. (laughs) Yeah, 
that was like, oh, yes. It was like, yes, she's like, see, there's so much in there because there was like Trish made an active choice, right? That she chose to do something that gives her joy and pleasure. But then that part about, yes, like the crumble would, like they would expect that, that kind of, you know, reception after is so true. And it was just like, oh, yes, like this is too sadly true. And it's just like, you just kind of grapple with that. You're like how, as a reader, you're like, you know, we, we want, I don't know, like when I, I'm thinking of as, as a mom, mom of um, a daughter and, you know, aunt of nieces and stuff. Like, I always think like, I want them to choose how they want to live their lives as women, right? Like, how do they want to just communicate to the world and interact with the world? Like, it's up to them. But then at the same time, choosing something that you like that the world sees as quote unquote feminine or nurturing or whatever also comes with the, like with expectations that you'll constantly be that or you'll extend that to everybody or, you know, so what are your thoughts about that? Like what came to your head? Oh, so many things. So I think the first thing, the first of the many layers is that this, this little conversation felt to me very representative of a discussion that we as adult women and listeners, we are of course being very binary in this discussion because this is we're sort of taking the conversation from the pages of the disreputable history and talking about feminism in a very binary way, understanding that it is a very complicated conversation. But I felt that this debate, if you will, between Trish and Frankie is like a microcosm of this discussion between adult women about like mm. full-time momming and working outside of the home, right? Like yeah. this sense of what what is work? Where is our time best spent? Of course, there are so many other factors at play in the decisions that we have to make as far as childcare goes or as far as like taking care of the home or other relatives. But this feeling of like, I do think that like I have friends who have recently had children and worked full time and took care of their children full time mm -hmm. and decided that it was too much and have since decided that they're going to take some time to be with their babies full time. Mm -hmm. And that is a hard decision to make. Mm -hmm. And they have grappled with those decisions. And I think that it's really hard when we live in a world where it took us so long to have the opportunity mm -hmm. to make the career choices that so many of us now have available that it feels to many of us who have the privilege to make those choices, like it's a bit of a step backward to mm -hmm. elect to be home full time. But at the same time, it's like to make an alternate choice mm. to prove a point that you can sort of stay ahead of that boys club, to prove to the boys club that you have something special to offer. Like, is that really any better? I don't, I don't know. And I also, I was the kind of teenager who really prided herself on having a lot of guy friends. Which is interesting because now as an adult, I have such like a wonderful, warm, lovely, thriving community of female friends. And I actually don't have that many guy friends anymore. But I really and it was probably a little bit of like not like other girls syndrome, yeah. if I'm being honest. Yeah. And I think Frankie maybe suffers from that a bit as well. And I, I think that it's all very complicated because I, I think that ambitious girls, or at least when I was growing up in the context where I grew up were conditioned that in order to sort of be fully ambitious and fully evolved, 
there was this need to step away from what might be expected. And for me, that looked like just sitting around while like my guy friends talked about whatever they talked about, even though I wasn't contributing anything to the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I look back at that teenage girl now and I'm like, I I see that I felt like that gave me power because it was me stepping away from maybe what was expected of me, but I wasn't actually contributing anything. I didn't have a voice in that. Mm -hmm. And what E. Lockhart has done in this book is she's, in a way that only a masterful author can, she's created a space where Frankie kind of gets to have it all in that she does step away from what's expected of her. And luckily, she's not completely pushed to the side the way that I think I was a lot of the time in high school, Mm -hmm. although she does have a few of those moments. I just think that this little moment with Trish and Frankie, and it does go on throughout the book, like Trish and and, and Frankie are definitely butting up against each other um, throughout this semester about like how how Frankie especially is spending her time. But I just think this says so much about like how much we are conditioned to be in our own heads about what makes like a cool, successful, ambitious, Mm -hmm. enterprising, trailblazing kind of woman. And so often that looks like maybe doing things that you don't really want to do because Mm -hmm. you're supposed to distance yourself from those things. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really has to do with the proximity to power, right? Like, if the power is held by mainly men, then to be one of those trailblazing people, you ha- you have to be in that circle, right? And mm-hmm. and Frankie wanted to be in that circle. That was one thing that, like, sometimes I'd be like, I'd be reading and I'd be like, um, oh man, they're treating her so badly. But she's still like the next line would say, I wanted to, like, they're treating her badly, meaning like not overtly badly, but sort of like leaving her out or her boyfriend was always like ditching her to go to hang out with the boys and stuff. And so she, at the same time, she'd be like, I, st- I, I still wanted to be around them. Like I want to be around them. And sometimes as a reader, I'll be like, Oh no, get away from them. But then <laughs> I know why she was doing it. Like she yeah. wanted to be in those. Now we would call it quarters of power. Like she wanted that. Like you, I like that unapologetic sense of like, I want it all. Like, why can't I like wearing his shirt and so and also like you know being a mastermind of things that you know that you know and I love that like all of those usually I find myself like with like messages or like excerpts from like books or something like a journal or something in a in a book I usually find myself skimming but with with all the emails and listeners there there's a series of emails in yes in 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 this book that they're so riveting they were so mm-hmm. riveting and I, you know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't skim any of them. And so like she was involved in all the things that she wanted to be involved in. And yeah, I think E. Lockhart did that deliberately to like give her, you know, just give the character what she wanted. And through that, the reader, uh, an opportunity to see what it looks like when you don't shy away from your ambitions and, you know, yeah. She has an incredible amount of agency in this book, Mm -hmm. which I think is important because whether you as a reader would make the same choices Mm -hmm. that Frankie makes in the book, I think it's undeniable that she Mm -hmm. is the agent of either her own demise or her own success at different moments. And that's really refreshing. Before we get into the specifics of exactly how she engineers all of this, because it's great and so inventive and cool and fresh, I do want to chat a little bit about her relationship with Matthew, who um, we 
we've been dancing around him a bit. He is the older boy who she's had a crush on forever. And she gets a chance to date him because, again, Samurai turned pretty vibe. She comes back and he invites her to this party at the golf course and they start to chat. And before we know it, they're dating. And their relationship dynamic, even separate from this old boys club, of which he is, of course, a part, that was, I was like, oh, sweetie, like, please get away from this situation. I mean, and again, understanding that she had agency and wanting to be there and like she was getting something from the relationship. Maybe I was just triggered a little bit by some of my own young relationships mm-hmm. because so much of what we get in this book about Matthew and Frankie's relationship is that it is so incredibly one-sided and Frankie is giving and giving and giving and she is giving up most of her friendships. She's spending all of her time with his social circle. Again, she's choosing to do that. But I was so frustrated for her because I wanted her to find a way to invite him into her life more. And it seems like she tried and he just didn't want to. But one line that I pulled out was, he expected her to become part of his life, but he didn't become part of hers. Mm -hmm. Which sums up the power and balance between the two of them perfectly. And I could not like, I mean, power and balance is really the only way to describe what's going on between these two. And that's how he likes it. Yeah. And I I mean, that whole draw of like, her draw towards him was really understandable in the context of like, yeah, just high school and like the boy or the the person you like, like, yeah, noticing you thought was unattainable. Noticing you, it's like you know, it's like it's it's just so real of why she got sucked in like that. Yeah, and the whole Matthew thing, like, I love one of the things I love about E. Lockhart's all of her books is is the way that she gets the dialogue and the cadence and stuff and I remember like when I first read it I think like my son was like just getting into his tweens and scene and 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 it was like the capturing of that kind of banter yeah is like just so on the mark right and it also like you know Matthew and his friends and and the whole boys club and the boys you know the secret society thing there it also made me think of like I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like our culture has so many just takedowns of like the mean girls trope and not yeah. enough about like the boys club. Like like when I think about like movies and shows and books, like the mean girl trope is like really recognizable. It's it's just it's just a part of like our culture to be like, oh yeah, that's like that vibe. But like, I don't really see it as much about these, like, the old boys club, which is, like, a mean girl kind of, like, you know? It's a, got the same dynamics of, like, its hold on others around that clique. And it's got the same, like, just the negativity that, like, permeates a, a, a situation. Like, just the whole, like, you know, the cafeteria vibes and stuff. And what was happening in the cafeteria, which was, like, you know, just a little description to listeners was like, you know, typical high schools, you have like where people sit and the, the sitting the place where you sit is very much a hierarchy and how Frankie had to think carefully about like, could she sit in the spot where the seniors and like the people kind of own the school sit if they weren't all there because she usually sits with them. But then if they're not there, is she allowed to go sit in that spot and that whole like staking the claim on you know place of power in in the cafeteria like that whole and that whole sense of like how 
this old boys club that runs this helps from the school it's not i don't see it much that take like you know the whole critique of that do you see it i don't know i don't the only other book this made me think of maybe you've read it my friend jess goodman her first book they wish they were us have you read that one No, I haven't. Okay, so she's since written two other fantastic YA books. She's been on the show a couple of times. But They Wish They Were Us, um, and it's been a few years since I read it, so forgive me, but something that she spoke a lot about in interviews about the book is sort of how she wanted to – she wanted to interrogate these power dynamics between – teen boys and teen girls in friendships, especially in groups, in friendship groups where there are both boys and girls and how she always felt in high school that like the boys had all the power, even if everybody was theoretically on equal footing because they were all friends. Mm -hmm. And that book also takes place at a sort of upper middle class, wealthy private school um, where there's a lot of social rules that need to be observed. And it's more of a thriller, but I think a lot of those same social dynamics are at play. And I did write They Wish They Were Us in the margins of this book somewhere because it was making me think of that. Like mm. this sense that often as a teenage girl, you feel as though you're playing by the rules that are put in place. And and I hope that that's changing in 2022. It's certainly how I felt a lot of the time when I was in high school in the aughts, in the early aughts. But I think Jess was sort of looking at a lot of those same questions. So listeners, if you haven't read They Wish They Were Us and you're interested in these kinds of questions, that's another one that I would pick up. Thanks for um, recommending that. But because I don't I don't really see it like I don't really see that that kind of, an, you know, just that that whole like processing of of the effect of of us like a old boys club in, in, in a setting that's not in the corporate world or, you know, in the wider world, but in, in high school. The other thing um, I wanted to bring up as well is the, the whole, like, I love that Frankie's, like, readerliness, like her her love of books is just so, like, um, yes. takes a central kind of role. And, and I, I, I just love that that's just part of her personality to be such a bibliophile. And also, like, it reminded me of this one thing of, like, you know, how, I think I forgot which part it was where she was kind of talking about how she discovered um, PG PG Woodhouse, and um, it just reminded me of like when I was a teen and I went to this garage sale in my neighborhood and I just like decided I don't know what what possessed me but I was just like you know what I'm not even gonna like because there's a lot of books there and I was like I'm not even gonna go through the books and read the look at the f- cover or read the back I'm just gonna place my hand on a few books and I'm going to buy those like because I amazing yeah I wanted to like I wanted to know like kind of like see if if the authors that I've been kind of like into or I've been uh, directed to were the only ones that would capture me and I discovered other authors that I never had thought of reading in this way and so when I read Frankie like I forgot do you remember how she that was described how she discovered P.G. Woodhouse and I think she was just wandering in the library and she couldn't find I think she was just looking for something to read and I believe this is actually the first time that she found herself eavesdropping on the loyal order of the Basset Hounds which is the the old boys club and I think that she just happened to have found her way to the P.G. Woodhouse books and that was sort of like the last book she pulled before she realized that she could follow the club and listen to what they were saying so it was sort of a coincidence yeah so that whole like oh you know like aspect of discovering and discovering that she could you know she could 
these, you know, follow these, the, what was it? Okay. The club was the Basset Hound, right? The, yes, the Royal, which I love. <laughs> the Royal Order of the Basset Hound. And that she could actually find, find new authors. And I just, yeah, I love that. So let's talk a little bit more about what she actually does with the Basset Hounds because it's brilliant. Like I said, I just found the whole premise so inventive and we'll do our best not to spoil too much, but this book is out there and has been for many years. I promise, even if you feel spoiled, the book is worth picking up because it's fantastic. If you didn't hear me say at the beginning, it's my favorite book I've read for the podcast so far. So here's what Frankie does. Alpha, who coincidentally is the boy that she met at the beach at the very beginning, it turns out that he is returning to Alabaster Prep and he is in charge of the Basset Hound group. And it becomes clear to Frankie after a little bit of eavesdropping that this secret club is happening underground at Alabaster. And she's able to connect it with her dad because she's grown up with this alum of Alabaster and he has these friends who he went to school with who will occasionally say things and she's she's been able to put the pieces together and she realizes that he was also a basset hound again like i would like to be part of a club with a basset hound as a mascot <laughs> i think basset hounds are magical and so funny i they just make me so happy so um frankie's like oh interesting like matthew is also a basset hound i'm going to get to the bottom of this mm -hmm. she does some sleuthing she manages to find this manual of the basset hounds with all of this information and when alpha leaves campus for a couple of days to go on a yoga retreat with his mom frankie decides to have a little fun and she establishes a a new email account under Alpha's name. And she basically starts directing the rest of the members of the order to do different kinds of pranks because pranks are like the hallmark of this old boys club. They're known for executing large scale pranks on the entire student body and faculty. And it's almost that time of year where they need to, to do their first big prank. I believe Halloween is, is their big day and they can't come up with anything good. But Frankie, she has a good idea. So she's like, all right, while Alpha's away, I'm going to see if I can get these boys to do my bidding. And all she had to do to, to get them to do her bidding was to make up a fake email address. Mm -hmm. And they, they start listening to her. They start doing whatever she says. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And she has fun. She does. Uh, and I was like, wow. She sends them on several errands to get things that to, to um, put – one of them, the first one was um, for Halloween was putting, is this spoiler alley or is, is it? You can go ahead. Yeah. No spoilers are good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so good. like the whole, she gets bras and they all get bras and decorate all of the, the founding members and the I don't know, headmasters and the pictures all with, you know, wearing bras and, and, <laughs> and, and, and also like some, some statues and some other things like just to. And in the dome of the library as well, it's parachuted. So it's it's just a, a visual kind of like joke, but it also asks people to like, just think about like, for example, all of the headmasters were all male. Right. There's not one single woman's picture up or anything. It kind of like brings discussion, like topics up too. And and then there's, there's a, a other pranks and they each, I think they kind of end up getting a little bit more serious each time but it's still with with still with like still with the, the whole there was a whole vegetable one that i found was was very interesting yeah they're all a little political yes. like there's she's trying to make a statement with each of them but interestingly when alpha comes back to campus she kind of thinks that her whole plan is going to be over because he's going to figure out that like somebody's messing with his group 
but he seems to be happy taking credit. Yes. And one line that I pulled out was, Alpha was taking credit. Well, if he was going to play it that way, Frankie was going to raise the stakes. Mm -hmm. And that's what she does. She creates all of these other plans. Mm -hmm. Another um, prank that I thought was worth calling out was uh, one in which Frankie is really putting the institution of Alabaster to the test on their religiosity mm -hmm. and the way that they set these weekly assemblies in the chapel on campus. They basically steal this little like guppy statue, which is really important to like the symbolism of the call of the of the school or something. And she writes a ransom note to the headmaster and basically is like, if you give us what we want, we can return the guppy. And the note said, the guppy feels that the implied Christianity of required chapel attendance, even though the assemblies are technically non-denominational, is an affront to those alabaster students who are Jewish, Buddhist, Muslim, or whatever else. And we do find out that Frankie is Jewish. And I think there was a moment where she talks about how, like, because so many people at Alabaster are clearly Christian, like, she felt as though there were all of these people that were secretly, like, not Christian and were being made to go to these Monday assemblies. And ultimately, the headmaster has to agree. And the students don't have to go to chapel for assembly anymore. Yeah, and I, can I just say that I, I love reading the word Muslim there? Yeah, <laughs> please say it. Because whenever, whenever sometimes like there's like lists of like dates or something, obviously as a Muslim, I'm like, is mine there? And, and <laughs> it's nice. You're like, check. Yeah, it was it was nice to see that. That was like an, another thing, you know, for the student body to think about, right? Yeah. Yeah, and um, she brings that up in the beginning uh, where it talks about people changing their name like um you know the jewish students are like i guess it was like they were talking about the alum who who changed their names to not uh you know appear jewish and stuff and so yeah it's just it's just about like how you can't really be yourself in these settings that it don't allow diversity really right and that's like um you know i think as 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 like a muslim author who's recently been published in, you know, 2017. I also draw a lot of parallels to like how publishing is so kind of old boys club, you know, like, mm. and how it's, it's like the doors ha opened only with so much like pushing, meaning like social media activism and stuff. Right. And then, you know, I was talking to an, an author just today, another, um, BIPOC author today and we were talking about how it always feels like the door is about to close mm. and there's like this like constant like keeping it open keeping it open and you know that's the the the, the things that happen in the disreputable history of Frankie Lana Banks like it shows how like Frankie tried to shake the system she did yet nobody like who was who's you know kept up like who, who you know who's keeping up the system in this case the royal order of the basset hounds even when they found out that she is the mastermind uh again it's not a spoiler but like it was not the reception that she thought yeah it would be so that brings about like how the status quo of um power being only wielded by some people it's so hard to change you know it's it's a constant fight it's not like you know so as an author like just personally i know that we often say that 
as authors of marginalized backgrounds, besides doing the creative work, we also have to do the activist work to keep ourselves, you know, writing, you know? Uh, thank you for sharing that. I think that's a really apt metaphor. Mm -hmm. And as you said, like Frankie is continuously disappointed by the reactions that she gets, not only from the other members of the order, from her classmates. And what she discovers about the Old Boys Club, the Basset Hounds, really is that like, it's been really easy for them to keep their power because when they are put in a position to have to work a little bit harder to maintain these like really great pranks that she has planned for them, they're too lazy to do it. And they let her down and they're not able to actually like finish it out for her. And there's hypocrisy going on. Like there's all of these fascinating dynamics that come into play at the end, which I will encourage listeners to to read the book in full so that they can fully enjoy because we can't possibly do it justice in our conversation. Like you do have to read it. There was one, um, I mean, there were so many quotes that I pulled out and I just wanted to make sure I shared a couple more of them. Earlier in the book, when when Frankie is kind of deciding how much she wants to engage with these pranks and how much she wants to follow her instincts about the Basset Hounds, the author writes, if she were normal, she would be worried about her geometry test and whether she'd get a good part in the midwinter dance show and whether Zada was okay off in California with degenerate Berkeley students and whether Matthew loved her like she loved him. But nothing seemed important except getting herself back on the roof. Matthew had called her harmless, harmless, and being with him made Frankie feel squashed into a box, a box where she was expected to be sweet and sensitive, but not oversensitive, a box for young and pretty girls who are not as bright or powerful as their boyfriends, a box for people who are not forces to be reckoned with. Frankie wanted to be a force. Oh my gosh. I, <sighs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> so good. And you know, um, that's, I feel like, you know, when we talked about why I, you know, suggested this book and I talked about like the whole, you know, idea of empowerment and how it's so well done here. I think about like the characters that I write and I I kind of write either people, characters who are figuring out things in their situations and, uh, you know, traumatic situations or like in Love from A to Z and the sequel Love from Mecca to Medina, I write characters like Zainab, who is very much like, the way Frankie wants to shake things up, the way she doesn't want to be put in a box and she wants to challenge these these systems. This I think this is why this book speaks to me so much is that for me, I want my characters to to have that like to be told through the story that they can agitate against that which they feel confines them or keeps them from living their full potential and thriving like there's a there's a line in love for mecca de medina talking about how it's not just about surviving or you know or coming through something but it's actually like every human should have the ability to thrive you know and and, and do like amazing things that they 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 want to and so that's something that i think i I, I, as a writer, as a, an author, you know, that's, that's very important to me in, in, in shaping characters that they, that they are characters who have, who feel their full agency. They're forces like Frankie. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> I hope so. So typically my last question is of course about how the book we talked about 
holds up or doesn't. And I think it's pretty clear that this book holds up. It's so wonderful to hear you talk about it with such passion. And I'm so glad we talked about this one. So instead of asking that typical question, I think I'll ask you, Saja, to talk a little bit about your thoughts on how this book and its meaning and the way you read it has evolved over time, because it's clear that you've had a relationship with it over a number of years. And I think that if I came back to this book in a couple of years, it would have new meaning to me. So I'm curious how you would respond to that. Well, I think when I first read it, I wasn't a published author. And um, now that, you know, I'm reading it as a published author, I I reread it. I see, I I find myself like focusing on the craft as well. Like, so for me, it holds up on different levels, but it also holds up in like kind of, reassuring me that as an author I have creative liberties because oftentimes now I think I'm, I'm publishing I'm, I think uh, if published you know or upcoming I have 11 books and um, through each of them like I find myself always asking what direction am I going to take this in okay so you know these are the things that I've like I I, sh- I know I have to do as like you know, for my story. But then reading this again reminded me that like, I can do things not conventionally, you know, expected. And I have that kind of permission through reading um, authors who take these risks in telling in storytelling. So that's how like, my understanding of the book has evolved. And, uh, and I think like, just, you know, um, you know, for, for example, my, I think when this podcast comes out, um, Love for Mecca to Medina would be out and will be out. And so, you know, I, I, in Love for Mecca to Medina, there is each each chapter is kind of like formatted according to artifacts of souvenirs that that uh, the two characters went on a journey to Mecca and Medina. And these, these artifacts that they bring back are, you know, like kind of knit the chapter together. And uh, same with Love from A to Z, there was like this, this, the each chapter was, was framed by marvels and oddities that the character like noticed. And, uh, and I do another framing device in my debut novel, Saints and Misfits. Like, so I, I feel like, you know, the natural way I, I kind of like look for things that I can like bring into my books that are, that are different, that are kind of like, um, make it a bit distinct in in the storytelling, I think, you know, I, I've felt empowered by reading authors like E. Lockhart who, who did those things and who did it like well and who, who did it unapologetically. And so I feel like I, it's like a launch, launch board for my own creative process, you know? Yeah. Well, she is a fantastic author. Again, listeners, if you haven't read any of E. Lockhart's work, go for it. She's so talented. Other than the disreputable history of Frankie Landau Banks, what have you been reading lately, Sajja, that you would recommend to our listeners? Um, so I'm actually going through um, a non-reading phase because of um, because of a deadline that I have. Oh, okay. But um, but the, I would say the the most recent um, book that I kind of finished and gushed about was um, "As Long as the Lemon Trees Grow" by uh, Zulfa Katu which is a story set during the Syrian revolution. And uh, it's, it tells the story of a, of a girl who's working in, um, in a hospital and uh, in, 
in the city. Oh my gosh, I'm not gonna. I'm, I don't want to say the wrong city, so I'll just say it's a city in Syria, and uh, in Syria, and uh, it's 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 really gripping and it's really painful too, but necessary and, and really beautiful and brilliant. Yeah. Great. Well, I will include a link to that book in the show notes. And you have talked a little bit about your new book, Love from Mecca to Medina. But can you tell us anything more about it and what listeners should know before they go get a copy? Yeah. So I always remind people that this is a sequel to Love from A to Z. And uh, it's, I, it's, it's important to say that because I know sometimes writers make sure that sequels can be like standalones. But this one, I think you need to know Adam and Zainab's story ahead of time, like how they met and fell in love. And this is, uh, I would call it uh, the ever after, but I'm not calling it the happily ever after, but it's still, it's still, you know, it still has like its uplifting moments. And it's, it's about Adam and Zainab, the two characters from Love from A to Z and how they go on a journey to Mecca and Medina, uh, which is where Muslims do pilgrimage. And uh, I would say, I don't know of any novels set in Mecca and Medina. And uh, so I've been searching. I don't see any of them. So this is a novel set in, in two places that are really important to Muslims. The two billion Muslims around the world. And uh, I kind of I, I made sure to write about it in a way that's accessible to people who don't know anything about those two cities. And it's just about like what happens because one of the things that happen is, is that the uh, one of the spiritual leaders on this journey is Adam's former crush and love interest, mm. and uh, she let's just say she mm, she's infuriatingly spiritual. Oh, <laughs> interesting. So and and Zainab's like you know she's grappling with things going on at law school. She's in law school, so. Uh, when the story opens and so it's yeah it's 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 a it's a it's I would say a friend described it as a spiritual book that you can't put down so oh that's a great I mean th- those are high praises <laughs> yeah. well it sounds like listeners need to first make sure they get their hands on love from a to z and then they need to get their hands on love from mecca to medina there will be links to both as well as your other work in the show notes for this episode thank you i'm so grateful for you i'm so grateful that you shared this book with me i'm so excited for your success with all of these books and i'm just so happy to have you as a friend of the pod thank you ellie i love being on your show you're welcome anytime thank you ssr is part of the frolic podcast network Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.